Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bear Academy and Bear Talk, a podcast about technology, design, and productivity.、Um, for today, I have a guest that I'm quite familiar with because I worked with him.、Um, the guest today, Amando Toriba, is the experienced design manager at Atlassian, an Australian software company. And he was my ex manager at Zero, a Zero,、uh, a New Zealand software company that I'm still work at. And he also worked at other companies as senior designer and design leaders,、uh, leader in New Zealand. And he's not born and grow up in New Zealand,、uh, same as me. He came from,、uh, I'm not came from Chile, but、uh, he came. He and I both came from a different country. And now he thrives in New Zealand and Australia as a designer. So that's one of the reasons I invented,、uh, I invited、uh, Amando to join my podcast. But also, as while、well, worked with Amando、uh, earlier at Zero,、uh, I noticed that he's really、um, mindful at design, and also、uh, his ways of communicate. Uh, communication and、uh, and even the process for doing design is quite interesting to learn. So、uh, especially if,、uh, for my personally, I've learned a lot. So would like to have this conversation on a, my podcast so that、uh, it can help、uh, other people as well. So yeah, and that we have today's guest Amanda. And yeah, Amanda, how are you? How are you today? I'm really good, man. Thank you for all the nice words. Um, yeah, I was blushing a little, but yeah,、ah. I'm really good, man. Super happy to talk to you on this morning. Cool.、Uh, am I missed anything on introduction of、uh, of who you are? No, you got it all right. Yeah, I'm from Chile. I moved here in 2015, but yeah, I've been around. I. I starting seeing the world and living in different countries quite early in my life, and it's something <clears throat> that I think really shaped my personality and who I am. But other than that, yeah, you were pretty pretty spot on 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 my bio. So thank you for that, man. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, have it.、Uh, always happy to do that. And、uh, I noticed one thing.、Um, Because normally, like、uh, for every podcast, sometimes I just check uh, guests' uh, website or LinkedIn profile, other places for a little bit、uh, about who they are, and I did the same、uh, on 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 your、uh, website as well. Notice one thing quite interesting. So unlike other professionals on LinkedIn,、uh, for their profile、uh, description, they wrote a lot of about who they are and what they want to do, things like that. Uh, but I notice on you,、uh, on your、uh, profile page, there's only、uh, a quote like, "If a picture is worth one thousand words, a prototype is worth one thousand meetings."、Uh, from Tom and David Kelly.、Um, really interesting about that. So, could you tell a little bit more about like why you're doing that,、uh, different from other people about who you are, but just with a quote. <laughs> Wow, that's a, such a big question to start with. But、um, 
Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, the fact, the reason why I didn't decide to write a description of me is mostly because I believe in experience and connection between people. So I, I don't see much value of trying to create an, an image of myself for people who don't know me. So um, I think what's really important for me is to connect and to learn with people and work together um, in an experiential way. And I'm not really worried about the um, image I'm building for people who don't know me. And also I think my curriculum is it speaks for itself so that's basically what what i have done and apart from that i don't yeah i don't need to i don't feel i need to build another uh, image of myself and i decided to choose that quote because for me that's a really good summary of how i see myself as a designer. I like I like using this superpower that I think designers have to actually show the future the, the future to other stakeholders and um, colleagues or people you're working with. So for me instead of trying to build an image that may not be true for people that don't know me, I decided to choose, I mean, to share a quote that I feel identified with from a professional point of view. And also I really like quotes and I really like idea. So it was, I think it was a kind of like quirky, but also real way of introducing myself. Um, yeah, that's, that's a, I think it's really a unique way. So uh, like a different, differentiates uh, who you are uh, from another perspective because uh, yeah um, the reason I'm asking this question is like uh, uh, like now everyone almost everyone is starting building their self-image uh, because of social media and other things so it's more like we want to show who we are as a as a better person than who, what we actually are, who we actually are on social media. Most people, many people will do that. But from what I see is that you're trying to find uh, the value uh, people uh, can can get from you or like uh, the value you can provide or like the uh, some of the, uh, uh, the value you believe or the principles that you believe mm. from different quotes so that's uh that's a really good one. so yeah uh probably a big question for the start of today's conversation but i think it's really interesting to to find that because people might start uh like uh have some interesting about you but uh, when they start to look at your profile this they find oh that's quite different but that's yeah. the impression uh and yeah, yeah i think it's worth yeah, also um, there is another side to that, and that's something that I learned through yoga, not the physical yoga, but the more spiritual yoga. Um, they usually talk about deflecting um, the praise you get in order not to get too attached with your ego, so you keep growing. So for me, this um, decision of not 
building my personal brand or my personal image. It's more about not trying to get you hooked up with who I think I am um, so I can keep improving, you know? So that's mm. why I don't like to talk about me as, I don't know, experienced or leader, because I know those those things are I'm doing at work, but I don't want to, to get too attached to, to who I think I am, because I feel I may um, give up on learning yep. or growing. Yeah. So, yeah, that's why I don't try to identify myself with something, because I think that same thing can constrain me a little in my growth. Mm. Wow, that's that's a really good uh, perspective. Awesome. Uh, um, how did it all start? Like, because uh, now we jump directly to uh, some of the uh, values that you you're trying to do while work. But how does the your design journey start from from Chile? Could you like uh, walk us through like your your journey on a high level? Yeah, I. I was thinking about it, and I think the main reason why I became a designer it's because I always really enjoy building things, and maybe it's something that happens to a lot of designers or engineers. But uh, my father was um, an engineer, and mm. he had this massive workshop at home because he was mostly working half at home and half at the factory he used to work for. I mean, yeah. he had a strange work setting because he was like a f engineering freelancer. So he was, and he was actually fixing machines, you know, like all sort of like big machines, like factory line machines. Mm. So right. at home, he always, I mean, he had this big workshop with big machines and I was always around like listening to music, playing with things. And as soon as I understood how the tools worked, and I was like maybe seven, eight, I started to put things together in order to build useful stuff. So I will grab like remainings of metal and good and plastic and try to make something new, you know? Hmm. Most of the time they were like really useless <laughs> objects, but I was trying to give them a purpose in my, hmm. in my head. Hmm. And that was fascinating for me, that exercise, like building, like turning something into something else or creating something new out of radish, you know, like that sense of building something to make it useful for someone. So that was when I start getting really interested on design and building things. And then when I was a little older, my, sister was dating an architect and when i learned i was 12 or something and he told me what he did hmm. and i couldn't believe it i thought it was the coolest job ever <laughs> hey <Man laughs> and, <money. laughs> yep. and the fact that this guy was building houses for people to enjoy enjoy their lives or to have better quality of life was fascinating. So then I, be, I decided I wanted to be an architect. And that was a decision when I was like 12. I was like, I'm going to be 
an architect like this guy because this is the best job ever. Mm. And then when I was around 14, I think, or 15, I got, I became really passionate about music and music became my life. And especially punk rock and hardcore and metal. So, and at that time, I'm talking about like late 90s, uh, basically you get independent music or alternative music by making copies of like yeah. bootleg of the, um, the records. So I was always trying to make my best to make my copies look better, not like the original, but to make it look decent. And I really enjoy um, doing calligraphy and drawings on my records. I was trying to make them look a little better because they were fake regardless. And doing that, my my process of falling in love with music, one day I realized that one person was in charge of making the artwork for the records. And that was a job. Mm. And I had like another moment, like the meeting the architect guy. I was like, wow, so there is a job designing cover covers for albums. That's actually the best job ever. And I want to do that. So then I decided I, I wanted to become a designer because I wanted to make records. I mean, artwork for records. So, and then actually I started doing design before I went to uni. I, I was really lucky to get a computer quite early, um, around 96 or 97, which is quite privileged for a middle-class family in South America. So I'm really grateful for that. And as soon as I could, I, get, I got all the design software like freehand at that time, Photoshop, Illustrator. And I started doing design work for anyone really, like for bands, for friends. Uh, I was in a really thriving community, like skaters, BMXers, people playing music. So yeah, I was really busy. <laughs> um, soon after I decided to become a designer, even though I wasn't educated, but I did a lot of like not really professional work before going to uni. And then when I went to uni, it became real, you know, like a proper design career. Hmm. So you studied uh, design in uni or a different subject? Uh, no, I, I, I went to the design school and yeah. at that time, it was early 2000s. So the design industry was a little confused, I think, because we were transitioning to digital, but there also, um, we were we were just uh, talking about a strategic design and services design and all these different um, streams of design work. So um, I, I went to design school to study design without any specialization. And then at the last year in school, I did a, ma a major on digital marketing, which is, it was the only thing close to digital design uh, at that time. But yeah, because when I started uni, um, that was the time I got into 
HTML and CSS and JavaScript, and that was mind-blowing. The fact that I could create and publish websites on the spot yeah, was a revelation for me. So I got really into web design. So during uni, I decided to do whatever felt closer to digital or online things, and it was marketing. It was the only thing available. We didn't have UX or UI or product design, anything like that at that time. You were lucky if you were taught Flash, you know, or something like that at that time. Yep. Yeah, remember those days, like uh, Mm. those tools, uh, like, uh, which is, it's much cooler then now, like uh, it's it's more like uh, with a lot of possibilities that you can create, uh, and also uh, and also sometimes they are quite clunky and uh, yeah. But uh, uh, yeah, those good old days for especially for graphic design and web designers. So that's mm. um, that's the best time. Um, it sounds like uh, your 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 early stage design journey. It's kind of like a design process like uh, exploration and try different mm-hmm. places and also inspi- uh, inspired by by your by your father and also uh but then discovered there's another uh part like a domain uh for for design some visual uh, mm-hmm. uh elements to uh, to deliver the uh the product uh to 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 the target customer and then you jump into it as a, as a designer. So yeah, that's, that's really great. Uh, if, if you have the time to do that again, is there something you want to do differently or like, would like to have like a, a different path on, on this, on this early stage journey? Um, not really, not really. Yeah. I think everything happens for a reason and yeah i don't know i think i was really lucky that my parents never really got too involved in my Mm. career decisions so i basically did what i wanted and yeah it turned out actually great so yeah i wouldn't change anything yeah Mm. and i think most of the time when you are um, allowed to do what you think within reason, um, it's really likely that the um, outcome will be good at least for you, you know, because basically yeah. you are doing it for yourself. So I never had too much influence of becoming a lawyer or a doctor because I don't think I will have been happy by choosing that, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm actually quite fortunate that there is nothing I will change in my in, in my career path, yeah. Yeah, because it sounds like an ideal path for uh, mm. a designer to start finding out, oh, this is the right direction. And it yeah. sounds like the decision your parents make to not make a decision for you, that sounds like a really big decision for them and it's uh, and it's um uh yeah it's a really great decision and uh, also as a could be a reminder for any parents uh 
uh, like myself for 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 the for for the next generation like mm. what's the what's the right way for them probably not the right way for or from what we're thinking and yeah yeah but yeah um cool and how about uh how how things going on when you move to oh. new zealand like so your career back to uh, chile and then uh, like what was what's the middle middle uh, middle step story like uh, from chile to to new zealand um oh that's a <laughs> that's a really crazy journey but <laughs> yeah so when i came out from uni um i started working in um in an airline which is the biggest airline in south america is called latam it used to be called lan at that time yep. and i was working i mean i knew i wanted to design software at that point and which is quite crazy because i got into design because i wanted to design records so the format changed but i was really sure that i wanted to build software and i got this job in the cargo operations team in the airline designing the cargo i mean the logistics software with a bunch of engineers and it was great but it was a little i mean for a new designer working with only engineers it was hard i think i learned a lot from that experience in terms of stakeholder management scoping and understanding how software actually works you know like building software is almost like building any other construction project you know it's hard it's slow you know so it was really good for me to understand how that type of software works compared to the type of software we usually interact with when we leave, when we start our careers which is more lightweight stuff like cmss or websites or small apps i was designing enterprise cargo software for airlines it wasn't fun it mm. was really complicated and then during that period i I start getting quite a bit of freelance work um, and at that time I was working with one of my best friends who's a designer also and we were kind of like starting this small design company on the side and after a couple of years in the airline I decided to do that full time and I became a business owner and I realized it wasn't for me or maybe it wasn't for me at that age because I was, I don't know, 25 or 26, and I was completely burnout. And I wasn't doing any design work. I was dealing with customers, chasing payments, you know, like all the things that you do as a business owner. So um, I decided to um, close the company. I mean, we all decided to close it in, I decided that I wanted to take a break and do something else in the meantime. I was really good from a financial point of view, but I was done with software and technology in that world. And it's crazy how the destiny works because a couple of weeks later, 
I mean, after making that decision, I was sitting, I was having breakfast with my friend, the same friend um, I used to work with, and I was looking at the newspaper and I found this full page ad from Qatar Airways and they were looking for flight attendants to work in Qatar Airways um, with no no experience requirements and all the other requirements were I kind of like fulfilled them. So I look at my friend and I was like, okay, I really don't want to touch anything related to design and technology and this looks cool. What do you think? And he was like, you should go, man, and see what happens. They had an open day. Uh, Qatar Airways was hosting an open day this following weekend in Santiago. So um, I went. Long story short, I got the job and I moved to Qatar and I worked as a flight attendant for three years, like taking a break from design. And it was great. It was the best experience of my life, like traveling around the world, looking after people in an airplane. Yeah, connecting with all sort of like crazy characters around the world. It was amazing. And then, but then I got a little bored of flying and it's not for everyone really. And I start talking to friends of mine, uh, to friend of mine um, in, the, in the startup and design scene in Chile, telling them that I, I was planning to go back. So yeah, I moved back to Santiago to work for this really cool startup called uh, Art Daily uh, in Chile. It was the biggest architecture website in the world, and it was a Chilean company. I met the founders, we connected right away, and I joined as the only designer in the company. Uh, I was employee number eight at that time. And yeah, long story short, that company grew like crazy. We went from being in two markets to being in eight markets when I left. I wow. joined as employee eight and we were like 70 when I left the company. And during that period, I came to New Zealand for holidays. A friend of mine was working here and I just fell in love with the country. Like I had such a great experience in terms of the sense of community, the closeness to nature, and it really clicked something in my mind. Yep. And I was already thinking about leaving my city because I don't like big places. Like I'm not really like a city person. And Santiago, I think it's around 8 million people. And I was planning to move to a small town in Chile. I wasn't planning to leave the country. But then when I saw New Zealand, I was like, wow, this is really nice. I'll give it a try. And I made a, a, a couple of contacts when I was here, people who worked in the software industry. So I went back home and after six months, I started applying for jobs in, in New Zealand. I applied for three jobs and I got two offers. So it was actually really easy. Uh, I'm grateful for that again. Yeah, because I wasn't expecting the process to be so easy. So, <clears throat> yeah, I um, I got an offer and I moved here in 2015. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I was working for a small startup uh, that got sold right after, like a year ago after I joined. And then I joined um, Orion Health, which is a big uh, software health healthcare provider from New Zealand, working globally. Yeah, that's how I got here. Well, uh, thanks for sharing, and I think because uh, I already knew a little bit about the journey, but yeah again like uh, when i heard it again it's always <laughs> as exciting as the first time because uh, you know jumping off from a designer's seat to a uh, to a uh, like a to a flight and for three <laughs> and this is sounds like a, a movie plot but yeah um and it's also like a perfect way to do a gap year or like a gap year between uh between the you know, two jobs as a designer uh but it's it's also relevant to design because it's about knowing yeah. the con building connection with people and exploring the world and also uh, like uh, uh, have a way to connect with different uh, different uh, different dots. So that that's that's awesome. And I noticed that you mentioned um, you talked to your friend before you make this decision, and he encouraged you. To do that that's quite interesting and also later when you uh, start to get job I, I noticed that you you uh like probably communicate with those people before those decisions or do you have the do you make the decision like already confirmed in your in your heart uh, just to, to validate with other people or you just look for other people's suggestion on your direction like i want to know the weight before between the the people's suggestion and your personal uh, thoughts. Yeah, hope that mm. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think it's all about knowing what, knowing, knowing yourself and knowing what you, what you want and what you like in life. I think that's really important. And I think if we go back to my story. I mean, back in my story, I think part of why my mom and my dad never tried to influence what I wanted to do in school or uni was because I was so sure. Even since I was a kid, I seemed so decided on what I wanted to do. You know, it was like, I want to build things first. I want to be an architect. I want to be a designer. I was always sure. So... And I think it's really scary to try to change the perspective of someone who will be sure about what they want. Yep. And I think this, I call it like a small supervision because I didn't have much supervision uh, when I was a kid from my parents, which is, I think it, it's a great thing. Um, kind of like helped me to become really sure of what I wanted and also um, quite aware of what was good for me or what, was, what wasn't what was good for me. So, um, but when it comes to really big decisions, um, usually I share my concerns with people that know me very well. And, but it's all about the, um, the potential risks or um, 
um, unexpected consequences of the decision. And in this case, when I talked to my friend about going to Qatar, it was basically a big risk, you know, like I never heard the name of that country in my life before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I did some Googling and it looked really different, man. It's all people like wearing traditional dresses in the middle of the desert with a crazy weather. So <laughs> yeah, it's really scary. And then I'm going to do something that I never done before. I have no experience doing that. English wasn't great at that time. I mean, it's not great now. So imagine at that time. And so it was scary. And I talked to my friend. He was like, we have nothing to lose because we were in such a good position. You know, we just sold the company. We had money. Yeah, like we were living kind of in, it was like an extended holiday in a way. So the decision, it was a little scary. But then as I went into the process, I got more insights and I start building my 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 own view of the world. And I think mm. after I did the Qatar thing, my my levels of self-confidence went to the roof mm. because basically I went through any crazy challenge you can imagine you can imagine during those three years, you know, like I don't know, I saved people's life in the plane because I was the first day there. Wow. So that's crazy. It's a crazy feeling when you have one person who can die relying on you inside a can 40,000 feet over any closer source of help. So those experiences are crazy. Then also making friends from everywhere in the world. When I was in Qatar, my best friend, and he's one of my best friends still, he's from Syria. I met friends from India. Like coming from South America, this was mind blowing. Then I got lost so many times in Bangladesh, in Japan. In So you keep building this self-confidence because you've been through a lot of different challenges. So I think this confidence of, of or this ability to make decisions is basically based on what you have overcame in the past and also knowing what's good for you, you know, which is something that you you are the only person who actually knows what's good for you. So when you know that, it gives you a sense of confidence that may seem a little special, you know, from for other people. But it's basically knowing what you what you want and that you have done it before, you know? That's a that's a great reflection. I love it, uh Mendel. Because that's relevant to the next question I'm going to ask. But it seems that it partially answered because you mentioned that uh after this three years gap from Patel uh, Katal, you want to uh, you you wanted to find a designer's job and at this uh, this company, so it's just uh, so easy and you got the the offer. And also when you moved to New Zealand, you applied three jobs and got two offers. Uh, I was wondering how it could be so easy because it's it's uh, as a as a, a non-native speaker and also 
uh, consider you have a three years gap before uh, before the last designer's job, how it could be so easy. But it seems that confidence is a is a big factor for for mm. get it easier than uh, than you thought. Is, is that something you're thinking or some have you? Uh, what do you think on this? Um, yeah, I think I think confidence it's a big one, but then also um, because in this case when you are making such a big move, you know, like getting a new job, it's challenging. Getting a new job in a different country, it's more challenging. Getting a job in a new country that doesn't speak your your language, more challenging. And then it's New Zealand. It's a country that everyone wants to move uh, into, you know? So it's a really sought after place. So um, I think in that matter, comparing yourself with others is not helpful, really. Mm. And that, that can trigger or that can um, bring up things that may be not useful for you as you are going through the challenge. So for example, if I'm interviewing with a company, but I think most of the other com uh, candidates got more chances to get the job, it's really likely that I won't be my best self in the interview. So yeah, I think that process of self-confidence is something that you need to build continuously. Mm. And and also, how do you balance the imposter syndrome, you know? Because that's such a... Um, I, I don't think imposter syndrome is necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it can stop you from the from doing things that you really want, you know, because you, you feel you are not good enough. Yep. So for me in that matter, there are two things that are always, I always think about. One is the value you can, you can actually bring to the company. And that's something you, yeah, it's something you can, I mean, you're the only one who can assess that. Like, what's the value that me, not as a designer, but as a Armando, I can bring to the company? You know, like, um, you have some skills taken for granted, for example, like facilitation, UI and UX design, research. Those are the things that every competent designer should be to the, should bring to the table. But then you have other skills, you know, like maybe you are really good at aligning people. You are really good at explaining things. You are really good at bringing people together around the customer experience. Those are the things that you are the only one uh, who can assess what's the value that they bring to the company. And by doing that exercise, you start building up yourself to um, have the confidence to perform well in, in, an, in an interview. Hmm. And then you have the other more obvious recommendations like um, doing your, your research about the company, understanding their role really well, understanding what they do, try to understand the people that you are going to talk to. And, and yeah, yeah. And then also knowing that 
even if you don't get it, you will learn something and you will get to meet some cool people, you know, like even when I was on the process for Atlassian, for me, every interview was like, oh, I met a really good time leader and I learned a couple of things. So every interview was victory. And then when I got the role offer, it was like a super victory, you know, because it was kind of like the sum of all these small successes, you know? That's uh, that's an awesome mindset, like uh, for uh, treating every interview as a as a reward rather than a test, because you mm. you will get no new people anyway, and by the conversation with them for that interview, uh, at least you know uh, like uh, the description of the company or like other things to like to uh, you always learn something new. So that's a great mindset to to turn. Uh, like as a challenge, but as a as an exploration, I really like that. And yeah, yeah. Um, I think yeah, th- that's a great re- uh, reminder for everyone who's listening, and also for myself. Like uh, speak, uh, think about the value that you can bring to the company. I'm trying to visualize this like a, a kind of like you build uh, like a, the company require a person to build a house for them or build a, a shelter, and as a designer, would probably have skills. Uh, such as design, uh, research, other things. It's more like the bricks and uh, and things you already got, but we need to find a way to to put them together, and yeah. and those could be some soft skills or could be some potentials you have. Or but you you need to find a way and uh, to to show that you can build it together and deliver the house for for the company. Uh, for now or in the future, if you can uh, show that and uh, and you have the self belief that you can build this for for the company, and exactly. this yeah this this will show uh, the the confidence will be showed during the interview process and people can feel it, and then yeah, yeah, yeah. so that's a really and, great point, love it. And you know that feeling that you get from the small successes, like every interview, as I said before, it's something that no one can take, away, can take away from you. So even if you don't get the job, you got all the learnings, but if you ignore that value, then you only get lost, you know? You get the loss of not getting the, the job. But if you see life, I mean, not only work, but life as an opportunity of gaining small pieces of wisdom or maturity or ways to better yourself then you never fail really you know because you're learning a little more not only as a designer but as a friend as a brother as a partner you know so for me that's almost like a way of life yep it's um just taking notes for the later stage but yeah that's great and you you mentioned imposter syndrome, and also from what we've we've heard, uh, a lot of things relevant to confidence. I want to know, like, what's what do you think about imposter syndrome? Do you ever have the th- the experience that or the scenarios you you're not feeling confident or uh, imposter syndrome come comes, and then how you deal with it? Like, or mm. like, what's your what's your story on that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, it's really important to understand things 
really well first. So I remember when I heard the concept of imposter syndrome for the first time, I went into a rabbit hole of understanding what it meant really well. So I listened to some podcasts about psychology and all of that. And something that really resonated with me is that most of the time imposter syndrome happened to people who can who want to genuinely be better, you know? So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it happens to people who are constantly pushing themselves. Mm. But then it's um, kind of like double-sided sword because the same thing that's trying to help you to be better or to push yourself, it's making you feel insecure or doubting your skills. So it's something that helps you, but it brings you down at the same time. So, um, yeah, of course I have, I had imposter syndrome at some point, but I think once you understand the value of what you do really well and you have evidence of that value, um, and also you combine that with the experience you have, like doing your craft, um, usually you start being a little kinder with yourself. Because I think having imposter syndrome is just being too hard on yourself, not being compassionate and empathetic with the journey you have walked so far. So I think it's important in order to reduce imposter syndrome to reflect on our experience as a designer and also um, reflect on the wins and the value we have provided over our career. And then if there are things you want to get better at, make a plan or if you are lucky enough to work in a company like Zero or Atlassian with really strong PDP programs, you can work on that with your manager, you know? So, yeah, I think imposter syndrome should be fuel for be better, but not to doubt yourself, if that makes sense. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a uh, really great reflection. Just while you think, uh, while you're uh, uh, saying I'm, I'm trying to think two two things from uh, from some experience that I had uh, while I'm having some imposter syndrome, uh, and try to find it's always two uh, like it's always with this experience that I want to be better. As you mentioned, that's a uh, that's a great point. But also like I've already uh, I feel stressed, but because I was putting some. Uh, position or some place that uh, I worked hard before and then I was put on that place uh, which could be like a, as a privilege like I've earned uh, this mm-hmm. opportunity to to be as a better person who I'm not uh, uh, that uh, like right now is not not who, who I am but still like I want to be better uh, and the other way is that uh, I see there are some uh, uh, things to be improved, uh, and then can see it as a as an opportunity that there are some gaps or some things missing, and how I can fill those gaps. And that's uh, probably relevant, probably helpful for the people who's listening, 
uh, if you have something similar. It's, yeah, it's uh, you're not alone if you have this. Everyone, I think most of people have that uh, sooner or later, or one or two times, or many times in their career, and nothing to be shame of, and just yeah, uh, uh, find out what could be improved and and do something later. And yeah, no, and you mentioned something really important, which is this sense of I should be there. You know that feeling of entitlement. You know, like um, I don't know, for example. I'm a product designer, but I should be a senior product designer. Well, if you are not, maybe you shouldn't. You need to actually assess the perception of yourself and make sure that you are operating at that level. Because like in at least when it comes to seniority levels in the workforce, um, the levels are clearly defined. You know, so yep. if you think that you should be in a place that you are not, maybe you need to look inside instead of keep trying to push yourself um, to a place where maybe you are just not supposed to be. So I think the, um, when you feel entitled to be in a place that you're not, first you need to validate why that's not happening and see what are the opportunities to to get there but also um be grateful of where where you are now and what are the possibilities and the opportunities you have to grow in that particular moment because i i think as soon as we feel entitled of something we start neglecting what we got and be and we become unhappy and yeah. that's the worst you know because then you are not yeah, you, you become bitter, you know, mm. and that that can happen to anything, you know. So, for example, like when I go mountain biking and I see like really nice mountain bikes, I'm like, oh, I would like I would love to have the newest model or I would like to have this new transmission or whatever. And then I stop enjoying my bike and I have a nice bike, you know, so I shouldn't do that. But the mind is tricky in that matter. So for me, it's in in terms of what we discuss it's about like trying not to feel entitled to something and then at the same time be grateful mm. because you will get there like everyone will get there if they have if they have the right i mean the heart in the right place i think yep um well that's that's very good i love it oh feel not entitled yeah, that's uh, that's a great reminder. Not only at Korea, but at many many other places mm -hmm. as well. Um, you mentioned the uh, the language. Uh, you, you mentioned that your English is uh, was not good. I, I think it's really good now. And uh, yeah, because uh, I've I've learned your communication style is uh, it. Uh, I've learned a lot. But when you start work in an environment or in a new country speak a different language and uh, especially consider you want to deliver uh, the value for the company you work for like uh, is that was that a barrier for you like the language was a barrier for you uh, at early stage and how do you if it if it if so how do you overcome with it like mm. yeah because as I'm asking this question as a non uh, native speaker point of view Oh man, like, yeah, I think 
I mean, it's always challenging when you move to, because in my life, I moved from Chile to other place and then come back to Chile, then to another place. It's not like I left Chile and, and I never came back. Mm. So the first days in, um, in an environment with a foreign language are always really hard, you know, because you are not used to the accent. You are not used to speaking a new language all the time. But the worst experience for me was when I moved to New Zealand, because I was being in America. You get used to the American accent, the American English accent. And when I came here for the first time on holiday, I was like, okay, this is a really different accent. But most of the time I was speaking in normal day-to-day -day situations, you know, so it wasn't a problem. But then when I moved here to work and I went to a couple of interviews, I mean, not interviews, like um, meetings with the team, like actual operational meetings, I couldn't understand anything because they were all Kiwis with their accent that yeah. was super new to me. And I was shocked because I never had that experience of kind of understanding the language, but not understanding the accent and the words they were using. And what I, I, I was, yeah, I was feeling really insecure and, and yeah, it's hard because it, it wasn't a matter of learning better English. It, it was about like learning how Kiwis speak, you know? Yep. So what I did in that time as a um, kind of like emergency solution, I start writing minutes for every meeting as a way to validate what we discussed in the meeting. But the real intention of those minutes was to double check that I, I understood everything properly. So it was my own way of making sure that whatever my understanding of what was happening in the meeting was right. And do you share those meeting notes with other other with people? Everyone. Yeah. With everyone. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's a way of validation, like is it right or not? Okay. Yeah. So it was a little sneaky, but it worked. And and then my first next step was to um make some Kiwi friends or to speak with Kiwi people. So I start going to meetups. Um, um, yeah, I don't know, walks, you know, like any opportunity to get familiar with the accent. But yeah, I think in general, um, it's all about communication because when I'm speaking English in a professional context, I'm not trying to speak English well. I'm trying to communicate well. So you you need to be really aware of how you communicate regardless of the language. And also what are the things that may be stopping you from communicating better and the things that may be stopping others from understand what you're trying to say. So 
I think speaking English is really important, like speaking English really well, it's important in terms of pronunciation, uh, accent, the vocabulary you use, but also I think it's important to be mindful of what is your communication style and how you can um, make the best use of that communication style in English, you know? Mm. So, um, yeah, and, and I think that's why, for example, I personally think that I'm quite different in Spanish than in English because and there is a cultural side of things also but here at least in Australia New Zealand I I rather being the one consuming information and making some um, validating my understanding I mean I what I'm trying to say is that I don't speak as much as I do in English than Spanish because I feel that my value is on uh, driving the conversation rather than speaking um, too much, you know? So I mm. try not to speak too much, but to speak specifically what I need. I mean, what I have to in order to enable what I want to do or what I, what I want to communicate. Yeah, because, yeah, that's... That's actually what I want to ask uh, earlier. Like I noticed uh, when you speak, it's quite different. Or even when you write, uh, speaking write sometimes is the same uh, uh, as a communication style. I noticed that it's not as many other people, especially those uh, native speakers. Sometimes they speak to think or they are thinking at the same time when they, mm. when they speak. But from what I've observed, you think first and speak and sometimes just uh, deliver the enough just enough information and mm. done without rumbling a lot uh, this is something i want to improve as well like sometimes i feel uh, especially when i get asked some questions i'm not familiar with i start to rambling and start mm. to talk back and forth about the same thing but i noticed that uh, when you speak and write seems you put some intention first and yeah. uh, focus on the communication rather than the perfection of the language. So I think that's a really big takeaway uh, for, yeah. for me. And, and it may sound a little weird, but meditation is something that really helped me to communicate better. Mm. Because when you meditate effectively, at least from my opinion, you start seeing yourself from um from an observer point of view so it's basically you start kind of like desaturating desaturating your your reality from who you are you know so you start taking this observer um position in your life and now when i communicate before saying or writing anything i think about the intention of my communication and who's the audience and what they need to know and then i write and that made such a big difference in my in my communications and it's really funny because this is something that changed when i start meditating it's not something i'm practicing 
And people tells me sometimes, like, you communicate really well. And I'm like, do I? You know, because I haven't done any effort, you know? But people are noticing that my communications are different, are really intentional, you know? So I don't share much of what I think. I just give the information I think I have, and I try to get the information I need, you know? So it's quite transactional in that matter. Mm. Yeah. Wow. wow. Um, yeah, that's uh, what, what I also feel similar, uh, similar feeling, uh, like uh, communication, your communication, and like when you write something, it might not uh, long, but quite uh, accurate and straightforward and just to the point, and people can, can get, oh, that's the point. And uh, so easy to digest. So, mm. yeah. And speaking of med uh, meditation, uh, but uh, yeah, we already talked. Uh, so not sure if we have more more time, but maybe I'll just add one, uh, two or three questions really related to the meditation and spiritual practice, because this is uh, also what uh, I think I think uh, I think is quite different from other uh, designers that you put some put these two types of the exercise or the practices together, uh, mm -hmm. like meditation or like a spiritual practice and design, like a mindful design. Oh, by the way, that's the title of your new website, right? The yeah, mindful yeah. design. Why do you have this? Why do you name it like this? Yeah. Um, oh, that's another big question. But um, Yeah, I mean, why Why did I, I mean, I keep on changing the name of my site all the time, but for me, that's, that, that phrase represents where I am, you know, because I see, I mean, yeah, how do I phrase this? I really love being a designer, you know, and... Mm -hmm. I see people like changing careers or be being unhappy with their what they're doing. And I feel so privileged that I get paid for doing something I really enjoy doing, which is running design teams in software companies. You know, I've been doing that for a long time and I can't get bored of that. It's like, it's really fun for me to do it. I really enjoy it. And, and I think it's awesome because I think design its intention that's the for me that's the closest definition to design is being intentional about anything and that's the path I'm taking in my life also like being intentional about what I want to get out of this time on earth and so it's like I'm experiencing a second coming of design in my life. I don't only love being a designer at work, but I love being intentional about my life. So that's the mindful part in that matter, that I feel, I feel that the fact that I'm so grateful and happy for being a designer, and also um, it makes my life 
easier than other people because again, I get paid well, good benefits, good work, great people. So it's a good life in a way. So um, I think the mindful design, it's a combination of how design has given me so much over my career and the position that design gave me in life, it's also helping me to be more, more mindful about life. So it's basically the combination of those two things. Yeah, sounds like uh, two uh, wings for one play that can exactly. help you. And yeah, and, and yeah um, because I think it's more like uh, even more important at a cert- at this stage, like with so many uh, disruptions and so many uh, noise uh, around us, and sometimes uh, and also we have uh, the uh, like never lack of information or even the material uh, stuff that will ne- never lack of. It. So make the uh, be be selective intentionally. That could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, like a quality or like a like a way of living for uh, for most of us, we need to start to uh, to have that uh, that mindset. So yeah, that's not only for designers. And yeah, I think that's that's really that's really a good point. Uh, but how how could get started? Like if people want to want to think, oh, I want to be mindful. It's not like a wish right we, 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 uh, what could be some actionable steps or suggestions that you you will you will uh, suggest that uh, people can start to do yeah um, I mean mindf- mindfulness it's a practice it's something you can practice as anything else like coding or mountain biking it's something you have to practice to get better at and mindfulness is the um, it's not a new concept it's basically the um, the one of the core aspects of um, Buddhist meditation which is it's not exactly the same but it's coming from Vipassana meditation which is basically learning to see the world as it is, you know, without any judgment or without without any attachment. So um, I think in terms of getting better at mindfulness, um, yeah, you need to get started, you know, like you can do so many things. I, I have done pretty much everything, but you can have a grateful, uh, no, a gratitude body, which is basically someone, it can be your partner, your friend, someone at work will be really interesting. But basically, every day, share something with that person, some, uh, share something that made you feel grateful or gratitude in that day, and get used to be grateful for things. Then the other um, suggestion would be to start meditating. You know, to um, you can start with an app, with recordings on your own, or you can go to your nearest Buddhist um temple but meditation it's a big one that one changed my life forever and then also um, getting into the um, like reading the um, literature you know there is a lot of books about mindfulness meditation spirituality 
But I think what's really important, the first step, is to be aware of why you want to become more mindful and what are the, how does success looks like? What's the actual problem in the real world that you are trying to, to fix? And then just put a practice around it, but you need to practice. That's the most important part. So yeah, I think any of that or even, yeah, like, yeah, I think any, yeah, I think meditation would be a good start. Yeah, or mm -hmm. trying to learn mindfulness by the concept of mindfulness. Because that true intention and that true presence, when you when you are able to unlock that true presence, your experience of life changes, I mm -hmm. feel. Because you stop thinking about the future and you stop thinking about the past and you just leave the present uh, with a some degree of bliss and joy according to your circumstances. But then also you start becoming a little more optimistic about the future. Mm. So yeah, I think it's really important, especially now where we are so distracted and so disconnected by the amount of content and information we have. So, yeah, I think now it's a moment where being mindful, it's actually critical for mental health. Yeah. And because we are being bombard bombarded every day, 24 hours, with so much noise, you know? And most of that noise is not really helpful. Yeah, that's uh, uh, yeah, that's something I think. Yeah, a perfect timing for everyone to do that, and never mm -hmm. too late, never never early. So yeah, uh, but for the mind, mind mindfulness and maybe spiritual practice, because uh, there are so many things to discuss. Maybe we can find another time. Uh, yeah. if you have in the future and uh, just deep dive on that part and yeah. personally I'm quite interested uh, one last question uh, that's a traditional question that for every guest on my podcast podcast are there any recommendations that you will uh, like influence you uh, in uh, in career or life or like books uh, people uh, uh, like movies or anything that you want uh, you want to suggest or recommend to people who's listening uh, any type mm. um, oh that's a good one considering there is so much content now um, yeah I think I think it's really important to have a view of um, who do you think it's taking the craft to the next level, you know? So, for example, if we talk about um, design or if we talk about product design, it's important to have your own view about who are the companies or the organizations that are taking the practice further, you know? So for me personally, I'm always looking at what Airbnb is doing, what Pinterest 
is doing, what Uber is doing, because I think those companies are pushing the craft, you know, to the next level. And I'm really fortunate to work with people who worked at Uber before or companies like this. So I'm learning from them, which is incredible. And, and also, I think it's really important to have a view about who are the characters or the people who you think are doing things that align with your view of the craft. So, um, for example, now I've been following more leaders and people that I think are, um, are pushing the, um, the craft further. And then in terms of books, I, um, yeah, I think there are some classics, of, of course, like this uh, Design for Everyday Things by um, 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 Don Norman. Don Norman, yep. Yeah, um, then, yeah, Don't Make Me Think by um, Stephen Kruger, is his name, yep. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, then for me, Lean, Lean UX and Sense and Respond are great books about that. I mean, I don't think they're about design in a specific. They're mm. more about how you can build businesses by understanding people well and solving mm. their, their problems. Yep. So um, those two books, I think, are really important. And then, yeah, some organizations, you know, like I, I still follow Nielsen and Norman, even though I think, yeah, I don't know, they've been a little controversial lately. Um, I mean, there is some controversy about the, um, the work they're doing, but I still follow them. And then also um, people like Jared Spool, um, he, he has a great community under UAE, which is um, the, um, the education institution he's running. Yep. So um, yeah, I think for me, it's more about following people and companies who are pushing the craft. But I think mostly, like for the last couple of years, it's been more about being really intentional about the things you don't want to hear, you know, like trying to keep the noise away. Because mm. I think lately there is more noise than signal uh, around the craft and the advices and the information we are sharing uh, in the design community. It's really hard to find good stuff because there are so much bad stuff or things that are not useful. Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a really great uh, perspective to think about what you don't want to consume or don't want to be influenced. Mm. Uh, so uh, and take a. Uh, like live away from from it so that's that's a really good good point because uh there are never lack of um, great stuff but um never lack of good stuff but great stuff is still like a, a quite quite uh quite uh limited resource 
and also our attention and our effort is limited resource as well. So mm. and consider the time you are consuming those those things might be good to uh, to think about what you don't want to check. Uh, this yeah. this I, I do have uh, some resonate on this because earlier stage when I start to learn UX, I start to learn design. I do find some uh, articles from Medium is helpful, but then I decided to not uh, check any articles. But I prefer to read books rather than articles because because、uh, yeah. uh, at that time it seems some articles just focus on one perspective rather than a holistic point of view, and also. Uh, because the,、uh, the the author want to get the article read by as many people as possible, they probably start to use some clickbait or accelerate、yeah. uh, the the fact or just to make it really emotional or things like that to to、yeah. get it uh, uh, to get it get more page views, which、uh, which can be a bias for 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 me as a learn learning designer. So yeah. That's、yeah. that's quite resonate. So thanks for sharing yeah, that. Think,、mm. Yeah, I think it's quite tricky now. The、um, the amount of information about design that we can find that I think can be a little、um, hurtful for new designers. You know,、mm. for example, for example, like there is this trend of Um, not working on companies that don't understand design, or if your company doesn't understand UX, go somewhere else. And actually, where I personally learned more about design was trying to sell design in a team that didn't get it, you know, or trying to introduce user-centered approaches in a team that was、mm. not aware of them, but. This type of advice, I think, it can be hurtful for new designers. On one side, because they they are stopping themselves from doing something that may give give them a lot of return in terms of experience, and then they may get frustrated by not getting the job that the internet is telling them to get. You know, so because. Most of the companies who get design are the companies that everyone wants to work for. So, if you see, if you consider only those type of companies as、um, the landscape of companies you can work for, maybe you are stopping yourself from having a great opportunity by joining a company that maybe doesn't get design yet, but you can be that person who will drive. Design and change in that particular company,、yeah. but if you think that's not a good opportunity for you because the internet is is telling you, then yeah, you may be stopping you stupid stopping yourself from being exposed to a great experience. Yeah, and also it's narrow your scope as a junior designer because、yeah. uh, realistically,、uh, not all the, maybe just a really small amount of companies can do it well. Like maybe. Twenty percent of the companies on the market are doing a really good way on design, ideal way on a, a design. The other companies are still trying to build it or like、uh, not in the ideal、uh, state. And if you only focus on those,、uh, maybe twenty percent of the companies to work with, and you just ignore the 
the larger larger markets and make it harder to find a new job at first. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. Really good point. Love it. Um, yes,、uh, we scheduled this、uh, this meeting for one hour, but really enjoying the conversation. But I don't want to take too much time from Hamando. And thanks, guys, for listening.、Uh, I think、uh, maybe we can find another time to have a chat、uh, with Hamando on the、um, on on the other topics, design,、uh, meditation, mindfulness, and other things. But yeah, thanks, Amanda, for joining us. No worries, on, thank on you, this, man. On this chat, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, great. Thanks, guys, for listening. And I'll put all the information, like books,、uh, other other uh, uh, stuff that we mentioned, on the show notes of this of this podcast. Thanks again, and、uh, see you next episode. Okay, awesome. See you. Thank you, everyone.